Thank you, Ralph. Isn't that cool? His answer is thunder from the mighty mountain. Come on. That's our God. Okay, good. A little bit different this morning. We're going to dive into God's word together. I'd love it if uh, you could have a Bible in front of you for um, this next bit. Um, If you've got one nearby, I think there are, I think our church owned Bibles are used to be at the back, but they're over that way now at the bottom of the uh, bookcase. Is that right now? I think they're that way. Grab one if you want one of those. If you've got your mobile phones, you can search up Psalm 3. Saying, hang on a minute, Matt, we've not had the reading. Rona's probably going, when? When am I coming? Hold on. You'll be coming. Where's Rona? Wait for it. Not yet. All right. That's great. Thanks, Rona. Get ready. Um, Fantastic. Like a swimming pool, when you're looking at it and thinking, oh, am I gonna, am I gonna get in? Yes, we're all gonna dive into the word this morning and have a swim and see what God says to us. This is gonna be somewhere between, kind of like a talky thing and also a little bit of a workshoppy thing. Um, some thinking I've done on this psalm over the last few years. I'm just bringing some of my thoughts together on this as we explore it. Um, can we bring up the, PowerPoint, June, I've asked you just as you've walked away. Sorry, my friend. June, any, any joy on the PowerPoint? That'd be marvellous. Thank you. Uh, and let's just pray before we dive in, shall we? So, Lord Jesus, as we turn to your word, we come with expectation and we humble ourselves, recognising that your word is the better word, not my word or our word or anyone else's, but your word, Lord. We pray that you would speak through your written word to us now, may become the living word in our lives, that we may be changed in your name. Amen. Amen. Brilliant. All right, so Psalms. We're in the Psalms. Some are in the Psalms. I do want to ask you, do you have a favourite Psalm? And if so, why? So it's going to be a little bit more interactive this morning. I'm going to start by asking that one. Anyone got a favourite psalm? And if so, why? Yeah, Ali. Nice, nicely in from the back. Yes, go for it. What's your favourite psalm? Psalm 8. Psalm 8, why? Oh, you've got some worries over there. <laughs> All in favour, say aye. Psalm of pure praise. Love it. Yep, anyone else? Favourite psalm? Jenny? Yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, the most beautiful pastoral psalm that for just covering over those that are struggling. Yeah. Well, hey, chapter 8. I read that. The first time I read it publicly, because I couldn't read or write very well, yeah. I read it in my grandfather's funeral. Isn't that amazing? And he was a farmer and it just came out. Uh, and the Holy Spirit just moved. Amazing. Uh, the guy who was um, the undertaker came up afterwards. He said, I've never heard that psalm read like that. That's yeah, lovely, good Cornish voice as well, the accent. Yeah. <coughs> That's a fantastic. Having not been able to read and write, write so well, David saying there that he read Psalm 8 the first time he read in public at his grandfather's funeral and the Holy Spirit just moved. Isn't that extraordinary? Yes. Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Yeah. Live by this Psalm. Psalm 1 is an amazing seeking wisdom, seeking the word of God, being rooted in him, Psalm. Uh, it's, it almost starts the whole of the book of Psalms, like a bracket that begins it and goes, this is what this is all about. Most amazing Psalm to be given to say, actually follow and live your life. We could go on all day. Right, super quick. You've got five seconds. So May, five seconds. Amazing. Why? I love it. I look... At, at, I lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. Yeah. I can't help but do it in the King James. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Because May looks out of her window and loves that psalm. Yes. Andrew. 139. Nice. Just um, a reminder that God is always with us from the beginning. Yeah, come on. Yeah, absolutely. Is that nowhere? Uh, where can I go to flee from your presence? You, you see my... Rising up and my lying down. Just amazing. Yeah, okay, yeah. Right, two more. Go for it. 13? Not very cheerful, but great. 
that's interesting. Not a cheerful one, 13, but great when life is, is gritty. Yes. We could do this all morning. Psalm 18, because it talks about being rescued. This is great. All right, all right. Last two, literally. Catherine and June. Yes. 96. I sing to the Lord a new song. Something that he has done new in your life, and it is a new song that we now sing, because we know Jesus. That's amazing. Yep, June. Say again, as the deer pants for the water. I was thinking of that one this morning, longing after God. This is amazing. Psalms, if you haven't discovered the Psalms yet, dig in. They are the most extraordinary resource for our spiritual walk and our life with Jesus. They are absolutely amazing. And the incredible thing about the Psalms, so they are somewhere between personal poetry and song and corporate hymn and worship, depending what you're reading, they're, they're somewhere between that, but all of them, this is like an incredible resource of spiritual songs, psalms, uh, poems that God's people in the past have written, but that resonate with us in the most extraordinary way in 2023. I don't need to prove that to you, you've just heard that. This is life, this is resource, this is from God. You need the Psalms more in your life. If you've not been near them for a while, dig back on in. If you're feeling dry or exhausted or you need more from God, I commend to you, just open the book of Psalms. Maybe one of the ones that people have mentioned, you could go back and look on YouTube, re-listen to that bit and go, oh, someone mentioned that one. I'm going to go and have a look at that. Or someone mentioned that one. I'm going to have a look. There are all sorts in there. It's Thanksgiving, psalms of um, pilgrimage, psalms of kingship, uh, psalms of lament, psalms of high praise, psalms of wisdom, psalms of imprecatory. And we call them the imprecatory psalms. That's a theological term. Google it. Basically means cursing psalms. Cursy, cursy psalms. Are they in there? Yeah, they're in there. Yeah. Get them, Lord. Come on. Um, we don't say it. We don't read those psalms. Thank you very much. Um, they are surprisingly honest. Um, real struggles and real doubts. They should not be there. If you're writing and conjuring and making up a religion, you don't let people talk to God in the manner that they do in the psalms. But if God's real and it's a relationship, as it always was with his people, and here's the most honest relationship in this book. It's extraordinary. Lord, have you forgotten that you're God? Can you get on with being God right now? Because I need you. You can't talk to God that way. There it is in scripture. Wow. Surprisingly frank. Other ancient Near Eastern religions at the time, you had to grovel to come into the presence of a deity. And like, oh, holy, gracious thing, whatever, some idol you're talking to, straight in. Lord, where are you? Extraordinary. Surprisingly insightful and helpful and relevant to us today. 3,000 years old, some of these. They're so relatable in 2023. Particularly, I think, with the ups and downs. I just want to give you a little bit of a help for looking at the Psalms when you're exploring them yourself. A guy called Walter Brueggemann came up with this way of classifying the Psalms. And I've always found this helpful. He said there's three, roughly three brackets we can put Psalms in. The first bracket is Psalms of orientation. That is high praise. God is good. I'm looking at God. He's amazing. Everything is wonderful. And there are times in your life and mine when we feel like that. And those Psalms just go, come on! Psalms of orientation. There are Psalms of disorientation. I cannot see God right now. I do not feel like praising God right now. In fact, I just want to say, Lord, how long? Where are you? I'm wasting away, Lord. My bones are hurting. I ache. I weep all night long. Wow, they're in there as well. And there are these as well, and I love these ones, I think, the best. Psalms of reorientation. And these are the ones where, as you're reading, Lord, where are you? Lord, I, I, I just don't know if I believe anymore. Lord, I'm struggling. Lord, I'm in pain. And then you see the turn happen. And yet, 
I remember your faithfulness. And yet I remember how I used to worship you with my friends in the temple. And yet, Lord, you will vindicate me and you will rescue me. And you do love me. And the psalm turns from this darkness of disorientation towards orientation. And that's a psalm of reorientation. Have a think about those three when you're looking at psalms. Is this a psalm of orientation, high praise, disorientation, disillusionment, or reorientation? Does it change halfway through the psalm? Um, If you were to write a psalm expressing your Christian experience right now, which one of these would it be? You're sat next to someone you trust. <laughs> Take them back. If you sat next to someone, um, have, a, have a chat with them. And just you've got 20 seconds. If you were, honestly, someone said, could you write a psalm about your experience of faith right now and what you're going through? Which one of these might it be? Would you be honest enough with each other and just share that? If you sat on your own and you don't like chatting much, that's fine. Just relax. Just have a think yourself. Just 10, 20 seconds, go for it. Orientation, disorientation or reorientation, where you're at right now. Good. Facing Jesus. Mm. Satellites was high praise, wasn't it? It was orientation. But then afterwards, you might feel a little bit like, oh. Yeah. But then you pull yourself back round. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. That's all you get on that one. I'm not going to ask you to share that because that's actually quite private. I want to say to you, some of us here will be like full orientation, God is good. Some of us will be in a place of disorientation and will say, you are so loved, you are held, you are safe in this place. That is normal in the Christian walk. Okay, it's rooted in scripture. The experience of faith is these moments of disorientation, maybe something you're going through right now. Um, Others will be maybe going, do you know what, I feel like God's beginning to turn me around again. I've been away, I've been struggling, but I'm holding on to his faith. And the reorientation process is happening. There's a similar idea, and I'll just give this one to you as a, a thought, in Ignatian spirituality, and I've always liked this. They have two ideas. One is consolation or desolation. Consolation with the sun, looking towards God, or desolation, away from desolation away from the sun not facing God and at any given time in your life even if you feel far away from God even if you feel like God's over there it's possible to be facing the other way or to turn yourself around and go I may feel far from you God but I'm going to start by turning back to you consolation I may be far away but I know the path I'm walking on and it's a path of faith of hope of coming back to you even though it's hard And I want to say to you, even if you're close to God and you feel like God's doing loads of amazing things, it's also possible to still be in desolation and go, yeah, but God, I turn away from you. Isn't that interesting? It's not necessarily how close you are right now to God. It's what direction are you facing? Will you turn around this morning if you're facing away and you'll see the face of a loving father looking back at you going, come on, I've been waiting. I've been at the gate running towards you. Consolation, desolation, orientation, disorientation, or reorientation. All right, good. Let's get a little wriggle on. Um, I pray for all of us this morning. This morning's going to be a little moment of reorientation in some way or another. um, Because all of us need that a little bit uh, in our Christian walk, even when we feel like we're doing well. So, 73 of these Psalms are attributed to King David. 73 of them to this... uh, Extraordinary king. That's not King David, just if you're wondering. That is a, that is a Google image of a man. <laughs> but he looks slightly beardy, so I thought, oh, a little bit King Davidy. King David didn't wear go-outdoor mountain shoes, I don't think, um, which that guy is, so that's the giveaway. Um, but the trouble with King David is he can become this deified legend. 
we're like, whoa, King David, he was amazing. And of course, the Psalms give us this incredible insight into his struggles. The depth of his despair, actually, his genuine wrestle with faith. But King David did have one thing, and we see this in the Psalms, that he kept coming back to time and time and time again. It was almost this insistence, this gnarly, dogged refusal to let go of the fact that whatever he's going through, however he's feeling, God is still good. He can still trust him. Even if he doesn't feel it or even believe it in that moment. This deep, deep trust in God. Even when it's ridiculously difficult for him. And yet that's easier said than done, isn't it? Ever found yourself saying the phrase, it's easy for you to say? (laughs) Things in life that look far easier when we're watching than when we're doing, aren't there? Discovered maths homework's one of those. (laughs) Come on! This is easy. It's easy for you to say, Dad. Let me in. Oh, man. (laughs) Algebra in year seven. Really? I thought that was A-level. It's all changed. It's all changed. (laughs) It's pretty tough. Um, I do remember a specific time I was teaching Archie how to BMX. Uh, He was young at the time. I don't know, six, seven, eight, something like that. And when I say teaching Archie to BMX, I've never BMXed in my life. So how can I teach him? I was being a typical dad. Come on, this is easy. Yeah, yeah, this is too, the bike's too big for him. He's tiny on it, this, this BMX bike, and he's going for it. And we've got this plastic ramp that's probably about that high. It's tiny. Go on, Archie, you can do this. So he goes for it, and he's like, no, oh, I just can't do this. Come on, it's easy. It's easy for you to say, okay. Let me have a go. Stand back. <laughs> in I go. Do you remember, Arch? <laughs> Watch. And, of course, if it's big for him, this BMX is tiny for me. So I'm like some monkey on this bike, flying down at this tiny little ramp, which, of course, just about a feet, foot before I get to it, suddenly becomes the biggest ramp I've ever seen <laughs> and is at least two metres high. <laughs> and I, I kind of lose my, lose my confidence, kind of half... Half go for it, get up there far too slow and get about halfway up and just completely fall off. Right onto my backside, onto the tailbone, I remember it well. (laughs) We think we're so great until we have to try it, don't we? Deep trust in God. It's easy for you to say, Matt. You don't know what I'm going through. I want to say to you, Trials and struggles as Christians, they are real. Don't need to hide them, pretend they're not. But so is deep trust in God. So is Christian trust. Generations before us have shown us you can go through the toughest thing ever and yet you can still have that gift inside that says, I will still believe. You can still have that dogged refusal to let go of a God who is good and who will never let go of you. Deep trust in God, Christian trust is real. It's easy to trust him when it's going well. But when you're under immense stress and pressure, something's genuinely frightening you. When you go into hospital, you have a family member not well. And perhaps you realise your life's coming to an end. You go, actually, you know, maybe I am dying, Lord. It's easy for you to say, Matt, deep trust in God. I want to say to you, it is possible. God can be trusted even in those times. Psalm 3 is about that kind of trust. We're going to dip into it just a little bit. I'm going to ask Rona to read Psalm 3 for us. If you've got your Bibles, have a little look as it comes up. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and lift up my head. To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me from his holy hill. 
I lie down and sleep. I awake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord. Deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Amen. Amazing. Thank you, Rona. Amen to that. So the story, if you look at the beginning of this psalm, if we just bring it up, there's this superscription in Psalm 3. I know that's small, that's the whole psalm. you hopefully got it in front of you. The psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. These superscriptions we think were possibly added later when, when the psalms were gathered and collated. But I've no reason to doubt that it's been attached to this psalm and that that's what this psalm is about. And it's actually about a time where David, who'd been a mighty king up to this point, loved, beloved, won many a battle. His son Absalom has now risen up as this popular charismatic figure and has stood against David. And actually David, for the first time in his life, he's now got to run, well, first time in his life as king, has now got to run in fear and shame as Absalom's army grows and grows. David retreats with just a few men that are still loyal to him and retreats to the hill country in shame, in fear. It's all gone wrong. This psalm he writes to express the gravity of the situation he's facing. Just have a little look at the psalm. Just in your own mind, what type of psalm would you classify it as? Orientation? Disorientation? Reorientation? Have a little scan. What's your first impression of this psalm then? Have a look at it, Psalm 3. What do you notice? Do you like it? Yeah, I like that. Someone said no. That's helpful, really helpful. Perhaps it's a bit violent, isn't it? Do we like that bit at the end? Smash them in the face, Lord. Get their teeth and break them. Yeah! Should we pray that? Hang on a minute, Matt, what's going on there? Well, we'll get to that. Hold tight. As you look at the psalm, I want you just to notice something. Now, the trouble is, Rona will have had it in her version. She read from the 1980s version of the NIV. I actually think it's a better, yeah, I think it's the earlier version. It's a better rendering. If you've got a more modern NIV, it's less easy to see. Every now and then in this psalm, I've put them up there, you come across this word here. Selah. You noticed that in the Psalms before. They've taken it out of the NIV for some strange reason, just put it to the footnotes. So you've got A there, and then you go down to the footnotes, and it'll say, Selah is here, and also here, and also at the end. So you've got three Selahs. We don't know what they mean. We don't know what they are. We've lost that over, the, over time. They could be all sorts of things. They could be a moment um, uh, of, of singing. They could be... Um, uh, what have I got down here? They could be a moment of uh, reflection. Um, they could be a change in voices. They could be a musical interlude. You could change instruments at that time if you're singing it as a song. We don't know. But one of the suggestions is that it's a time to stop and reflect on what you've read. In particular, read scripture that makes sense of the psalm that you're reading. So take a moment to read another bit of scripture, intertextual reading. And if we were to do that, it would be 2 Samuel, the story of Absalom. And I'm just going to drop in a couple of verses as we go through this, um, just so you can see what happens when we read this psalm alongside the story of Absalom. The first thing you will see, though, is whatever we think about these sailors, can you see how they split the psalm up? So this top bit here is one little section stop and pause and think. Then this next section here, little section, stop and pause and think. And then we've got this final chunk at the end. And what it does is it puts these two sections against each other. Because you'll notice that these two sections say two entirely different things. The first is a word that's being spoken over David's situation that basically turns around and says... In this battle, God's not going to save you, David. You're a loser. God hates you. 
And the second one turns around and declares a word that says, actually, in this huge battle, God is my shield. He has not abandoned me. God is faithful and he hears me. Can you see the difference between those two? They are directly opposing. And in this psalm, it's like these two ideas, these two spoken words about the situation go into battle with each other. Only one of them can be true. There is no salvation in God. God has not abandoned me. You're an idiot and a loser. He hates you. God loves you. He's your shield, protector. He's your glory. Only one of those can be true. And this psalm is like a battle between the two. So let's whiz on a little bit. And we look quickly at this first word. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. There's no denying David's in literal mortal danger here. There's no dry run. He's going to be murdered by his son's army. The first thing we notice, if you look, is this word, many. Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, if the Bible's repeating something, it's kind of trying to make a point. Many, many, many. The exterior battle is raging one thing after another. Who's ever been... At that point in life where you go, I can't take any more actually. It's not just one thing that's happened this week or this month, this year. But another thing and another thing and another thing. It happens sometimes that way. That's exactly what's happening to David right here. Everything's gone wrong on all fronts. And many, we read crucially, not just are rising up against him physically, but are also saying to him, there's no salvation for you in God. This is not the external battle, this is the internal battle that David is now fighting. Because with every external battle, I want to say to you, there is an internal battle about our faith, about our belief, about who we feel and believe God really is, who he says we are, what we think about ourselves. NIV translates it as uh, many are saying, of my soul, um, or many are saying of me. Translation really means my inner part has been affected. Many are saying, and it's not just gone skin deep, but it's gone right into my soul, right into my inner part, what they're saying. I was doing some gardening the other day, um, and I've got absolutely scuffed up with uh, thorns. You know the uh, blackberry bush? Oh man, aren't they horrendous? But if I had those big, chunky gloves, we couldn't find them anywhere. I found one in the end. Those big, thick ones, I could grab them and sort it all out. But with nothing else, I was just getting mullered. And I mean, just blood dripping. Like, what's going on? This is terrible. One glove. Yeah, chainsaw would have been good. Come Wednesday, 6.30, bring your chainsaws. Um, Thanks, David. But I want to say to you, life isn't like wearing those big, thick gloves all the time, is it? Some words are spoken to us, and they get not just skin deep, but they go soul deep. And they go in like a root, and it's really hard to get them out. And you go, my protection isn't up. I thought it was, but that word, that's knocked me for sex. And sometimes we share that, and sometimes we don't. But that's what David's saying. Lord, they're saying to my inner bit, and I've begun to believe it. Lord, I'm wobbling. Lord, at this moment, my interior battle, I'm losing. It says, you're not going to save me in this one, are you? I'm done. You don't love me. You're not who you said you were. Just take um, a moment to say la with me. In the story, and I can't go into it now, if we had longer, maybe an hour together on this kind of workshoppy stuff, um, we could go into it more, but basically... At this point, as David is going, retreating, shamed and mocked, this guy called Shemai, or Shimai, runs alongside David. If they're going through the valley, he's up on the hills shouting at him. You're a scumbag. You're a scoundrel. You're a loser. You're a murderer. He curses him, it says, in 2 Samuel 16. Cursing and throwing stones at him showering him with dirt. You're dirty. You're a mess. God hates you. There's no salvation for you, David. You're done. 
you're lost. And it simply says, the king and all the people with him arrived at their destination, exhausted, done, spent. The interior battle can exhaust us just as much as the exterior battle. The wrestle with truth of who God is, who we are, what we really believe. Does God really love me in this moment? Does God really care? Will he come through for me? Can I trust him? And into that situation of struggle and pressure that you're under, a word comes in. Maybe from a friend. Maybe from a family member. Maybe from someone you've just never really got on with. And there it is again. Or maybe from yourself. And it's a negative word that just goes, nah. Not really showing up as he should do, is he, God? He's not really the God you thought he was, is he? Or, you're not any good at that, really, are you? That's not your gifting. Perhaps it's time to stop. And the interior battle rages and we feel exhausted. just want you to share together, and this is a little moment of intimacy, as in, by intimacy I mean... A confidentiality, if, if, you, if you feel uncomfortable doing it, don't worry. But has there ever been a word spoken over you, or maybe there is at the moment, you're saying of my soul there's no salvation for him in God. Has a negative word ever been spoken over your life, either in the past or the present, that got into your innermost being? You know, some of us carry these words that we've had since childhood. You're actually no good. You're this kind of person. Or maybe it's something someone said to you just last week. Yeah. I just want you to share with that person next to you, if you trust them and can, or just have a think yourself. So have just 20 seconds to have a chat again. It's an interesting, interesting conversation. We could take 20 minutes to chat that one through. You will have only just been able to touch on whether there is, and maybe only one of you has spoken about it. I just want to say that's okay. We don't have time to go deeper, but maybe there's a conversation there you can have a little bit more about. But even if you've been on your own in that moment just thinking, I believe that's significant just to have a think about that. Because if this psalm ended here... This first word, this lie, the spoken over David's situation, it would be a psalm of disorientation. It would end. And that's it. So Lord, you're not going to save me. Amen. It doesn't end here. And that word spoken over you is not the final word. There is a better word. It is the word of God. It is his word of who you are and who he is. And so this second word now comes in, like picks up the sword and starts swinging into battle. And I absolutely love it. But you, O oh Lord, this is what David does. You, O oh Lord, he says. He declares it out loud. All this is going on. They say you're not going to help me. I've got dirt all over me. But you, Lord, are a shield about me. Dirt's all over him. Not a very good shield. I don't care. The Lord is my shield. He is. He's my glory and he's the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord. He thundered from his mountain as we had from the message. He answered me from his holy hill. David goes into battle. He's not having it. This word will not be the last word over my situation and my life. He strengthens himself in the Lord. This is what this is. David does this a few times. He says before he goes into battle or before he makes a decision, he strengthens himself in the Lord. He reminds himself who God is, what God's promises are, even if it doesn't make any sense right now. This is who the Lord 
is. He stops looking around at his enemies. He stops looking at himself. He looks up. And as he does, the symbol of shame, the symbol of a head bowed low, is turned to a symbol of dignity as he looks up to the Lord and thinks about who God really is. I am significant because you say so, Lord, not me. I am loved because you say so. I am chosen by you. You, Lord, are my glory. You are my shield. You are stronger than my enemy. You're my witness. You're the one who lifts my head held high. And at this point, far from his throne, far from Jerusalem and the holy hill, David says, I might not be there, but I tell you who is. The Lord sat on his throne. Come on. The Lord is never dethroned. He's there and he hears and he will answer. Say la and we'll whiz on. Pausing to reflect on the story, we could have a look in 2 Samuel 17. And the Lord begins to frustrate Absalom's advisors. And he begins to sow uh, misinformation. The Lord's doing it. David doesn't even know it's happening. His advisors give bad advice to Absalom. The Lord's at work, even when David didn't see it. Just as we sing, even when I don't see it, you're working. And regarding the lifting of David's head, the dignity coming back, the shame being lifted, there's this lovely moment where David and his men, covered in mud, stinking, rotten, feeling their lowest, these people start coming out of their houses in 2 Samuel 17, 28. And they bring bedding and bowls and pottery and wheat and barley and flour and roasted grain. I love it. List it all. It was all so precious. Beans they brought and they brought some lentils and some honey and some curds and some sheep and some cheese from cow's milk for David and his people to eat. They restored his dignity. They said, David, you know we love you still. You're still our king. Yes, the Lord is answering. Yes, there was physical encouragement for David. But before both of those things and before he even saw those things, he strengthened himself in the Lord and said, no, this is who God really is. A word of faith and trust, even when he couldn't see it. I wonder, how do you strengthen yourself in the Lord when times are tough? How do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? Do you need to do it this morning? Do you need to do it this week? Strengthen yourself again. Go for that mountain walk whatever that looks like for you. Put on that CD, that worship. Bend the knee in prayer. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Fight the battle. Fight the battle. Don't let the other word overwhelm. Let this greater word, this better word, come through. I'm aware of time. I'll whiz on and we're going to respond in worship in a moment. It's time to act now. These two words have come into battle. And it's time for David to act. It's time for the battle to rage and time for him to get victory. And so he does something. And in the, uh, that's the the second word, in the biggest surprise and one of my favourite points in the Psalms, we read what David does. So the head of the army, all is looking at him, all his men around, what are we going to do, David? He says this, I lay down and I sleep. I love that. What? (laughs) Really? I lay down and slept. I wake again, for the Lord has sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. So many thousands. We've gone from many. There's many again. And now we've added thousands. Okay, the situation's getting worse. What's he going to do? As for me and my part. So this is an emphatic I in the text. It's I. I, as for me, David, me. What I'm going to do... I'm going to lie down and I'm going to sleep. What's he doing? He's doing two things. He's showing to all the people and all his men and all the team around, this battle's not going to be won by me. Stop looking to me as your king. Okay, look to the one who I trust. And it's the Lord. He's the one who's going to do this. The second thing he's doing, I believe, I don't know this, But I believe he's trying to help his soul and his heart catch up with his head declaration of who God is. By doing something physical, he's trying to say, I actually do believe this. He's putting his faith into action. He's saying, I'm going to lie down. Can't do that. I can. I'm going to. Because now my soul will start believing that I really can trust God. That it is going to be God that's going to help me here. And then 
we read after he's lied down, as he's got back up again, he shouts this, Arise, O Lord. I lie down, you rise up, Lord. How about that one? I'll go down, you rise. Save me, O God. Strike all my enemies on the cheek and break the teeth of the wicked. Come on. Hang on a minute, Matt, we're not there yet. We're still not sure about that one. Doesn't mean David's not going to do anything. Okay, this is the battle cry of Israel at the time. Arise, O Lord. We're going into battle. Arise. You'll see it throughout the Psalms as you read them through. Arise, O Lord. Arise, O Lord. It's a very, very beautiful prayer of trust and also saying, come on, God. But then he asks God to do something that sounds quite violent. This one I don't think is as good a translation. It says, for you strike all my enemies, as if God does that or has done that. It's better, the request, will you strike him? Will you smash him, Lord? What's he saying there? Well, I think he's using very, very powerful metaphor here. I'm not saying he didn't mean it physically, but I certainly think he means it spiritually. Because, listen, you strike an enemy on the cheek is a symbol of shame and disgrace. He's saying those arrogant, puffed up, powerful people that are saying, you're a disgrace, you're, you know, God's rubbish, don't listen to him. They think they're lording it over. Will you just bring them back down to size, Lord? Will you cause them shame? The second thing he says is, will you break the teeth of those who are expounding this lie that you won't say that you're no good? And what does he mean? Will you stop them being able to speak? He's basically saying, cut out their tongues. Stop the lie, Lord. I do believe that's spiritually, metaphorically. Whether or not he meant it physically, I'll let David tell me in glory. But definitely he's saying, Lord, enough. Stop the liar. Break the teeth. Break the teeth, Lord. Lower them back down. Those ones that declare that you are rubbish, that you're no good, that you're the God who doesn't save. Will you stop the lie, Lord, here and now? And in the very last breath of the psalm, we hear the victories won. This is the final conclusion. From the Lord comes deliverance. Salvation does belong to God. May your blessing be on your people, Lord. God has abandoned you. You're no good. God is my shield. He's my saviour. Fight together. Break the power of that lie, Lord. And let the truth come to the fore. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people, God. You're amazing, even though I'm still in the midst of the battle. Just going to ask Becky to come and play something for us. We're going to finish our time in the next few minutes together in worship. But I'd like you to do something for me. I'd like you to do something you may feel nervous about doing, but I want to say to you it's okay. I want you to the person next to you, if you've been talking to them, I want you to pray for them, but you don't necessarily need to use words. I want you just to maybe place your hand, if you've got permission, just near their back or on their shoulder. And I want you to pray your best prayer to God. He's hearing, even if it's a rubbish prayer. Um, (laughs) There's no such thing as a rubbish prayer. But whatever you can muster, doesn't have to be perfect, that he will smash the teeth and the power of the word that's been spoken over them that they need releasing from. I want you to do that. I want us to do that to one another. I just want you to, just as you pray, you can say it out loud, just say, Lord, break it. Break the lie this morning. And then when you're ready, I want you just to pray that blessing over them. You can say, from God comes salvation. May his blessing be on you. And just pray for one another. It's a very simple thing to do. If you're sat on your own, that's fine. Just listen to what Becky's singing and let the Lord speak over you and break that this morning. But if you can, I want to encourage you just to say, should we just pray? And Lord, whatever it is, even if I don't know it, will you just break the power of the lie that's been spoken over my friend? In Jesus' name, simple as that. Let it be gone this morning, Lord. And now I replace it with a better word. From God comes salvation. That you are loved. That he is good.
in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe we can do this, folks. Step out of your comfort a little bit. Do it if you can. If you want to just sit there on your own, that's also fine. Bex, would you lead us just in a moment of worship? Let's pray, shall we, for one another. Just take this moment. David's just going to share something in a moment. My version actually says, um, um, oh, I lost it again. Oh, yeah. Breaking the power of their words to harm me. Their words harming David. I had words spoken over me in primary school, and they broke me. Yeah. Um, I was told to go back to the infants and learn to read. I hate those little chairs even to this day. I was so mad I hit the headmaster. You can imagine that went down well. Um, but those words affected me. As a testimony I give hundreds of times because Jesus saved me. When I was 32, I walked down, not this church, but the old one, and all of that rubbish that I was told left me. So the power of God's word will save you and can save you and can heal you. I'm living evidence of that. In fact, I read that psalm at my grandfather's funeral uh, about six months after I became a Christian. And I read it with such passion because God gave me that passion. He broke that fear of that headmaster telling me that I was useless. I was loved by God. Amen. Amen. Folks, we're going to finish just in worship a couple of songs, but I want to say to you, there is, oh yeah, thank you. Please. Yeah. Prison cell. Thank you, Pete. So I just want you to hear that. A picture of a heavy lock on a jail cell. The lock has been smashed. The Lord has done it. Fling wide the gate. Push it. And you'll realise Jesus is right there. There'll be prayer afterwards. I'll ask Jenny and anyone else who's able just to be around. If that's you, take up the offer. Just go, it's me. Can we just swing this gate open together? Break the power of what's been holding you back. As we just, we're going to sing about our amazing Lord, but there is one last say now. If you could just bring it up, um, June. Right at the end, you'll notice there was, so the end of my PowerPoint, you'll just see there's a slide that just says say now. Um, what's that last say now, Matt? What do we do? Well, we've thought about David's battle, the words spoken over him, the battle he went in, the better word, the word of the Lord. We've seen the external and the internal battles. We've seen that David has shown this example that these battles are not won by us purely by kingly force or by military might, but through humbling ourselves, of strengthening ourselves in the Lord and allowing him to rise up and break the power of the enemy's lie. And at this point, we could read of the mighty victory David had over Absalom. So amazingly of God that Absalom was riding in all his pomp and glory and his hair got caught in a tree and he gets trussed up and he gets killed. 
And you might think, at that point, all his men abandon it, the whole thing's over. At that point, you might think David and his men are having the best party ever. Way! Violence has won. We've done it. No. No, if we reflect on the story, we read that David is heartbroken in the victory. The Bible's not always predictable. David, in 2 Samuel 18, is grieved. His son is dead. This whole situation has been a tragedy. This isn't some great celebration of violence as a psalm. I believe it's quite the opposite. Tragedy is that the battle ever had to take place in the first place. That the liar had sowed his seeds into his son and the people following him. And now his son was dead. He'd been snared by his own pride and the lies. We'd read that David, instead of that Shimei, do you remember I told you about him throwing the mud and mocking? Instead of trusting that guy up and chucking him in prison, David forgives him. And he honours him. He says, it's okay. And Shemai is amazed that David blesses him. The one who verbally mocked him at his lowest. You see, David breaks the cycle of revenge in this moment. And something in this reminds us of Jesus, doesn't it? The one who told us that battles are not won by military might, but by humility and trust. That we're not to curse those who curse us, but to love them and bless them. And it reminds us that the one who finally smashed the teeth of the liar did not do so through military means and power, but by surrendering his power and suffering and dying in sacrifice on the cross. And so the powerful voice of the mocker, the liar, was still there. Do you remember as Jesus is on the cross, the same voice, you saved others, save yourself. Who do you think you are? You're nobody. And Jesus simply said, he broke the power of the liar. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is our Jesus. This is his victory. I find it hugely humbling. And I invite you to worship him with me as we finish our time together. We're going to go to the cross. We're going to cast our mind, if that's all right. Let's stand and sing and worship Jesus. Keep letting him speak to you this morning.